0: For thine
1: is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Welcome to In and Through. Our mission is to resource the church to be hearers and doers of the word. My name is Tim. And my name is Marshall. How you doing today, Marshall?
0: I'm doing really, really well, actually. I'm hanging it with you up here in the Studio, looking out the window, seeing the, the snow go sideways. It's pretty crazy out there. The studio. the
1: studio. The studio makes it sound like we actually know what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> the the funny thing is, though, we do have a radio room at Memorial. So in the 70s, uh, our church broadcast sermons over mm-hmm. the, uh, the local radio. My understanding is the Sunday night service yeah. was broadcast live over local radio. So there's a radio room in our church, mm-hmm. revisited, revamped mm-hmm. for podcasting. Yeah, it's
0: great. It's like this whole, like, I'm tempted to make a, a reference to the Lion King, like the, the circle of life, kind of antelope eat the grass type don't, of circular... Don't. do no? Okay. no. No. No.
1: <laughs> but, but it's funny how, like, it's, it's exciting and nostalgic for yeah. a time that we never yeah. actually experienced, but to yeah. be able to bring that back. So this is, uh, this is the first episode of the year going into the Reading Through the Word. Here at Memorial, what we're doing is we're doing a journey through the Word, a chronological reading of the Bible in order to to be able to understand the big picture of the Bible, and I, and I want to be careful to make sure that everyone understands that there's a difference between studying the Bible and doing a read-through. Yeah. Uh, there, there are times when you're studying the Bible that you come across something you're like, "Hey, you know what? This, this doesn't exactly make sense to me. This needs to be fleshed out a little bit." So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, uh, I'm going to pause here, and I'm going to look in a commentary. I'm going to to really research this kind of a thing. And uh, when you're reading through the Bible in a year, you don't always have time for that. Uh, and so, so one of the things that we want to encourage people to do is is in joining us in this read through, throw in a bookmark, yeah. Come back to it uh, another time, maybe when you've got some some spare time on your hands, maybe mm-hmm. maybe even next year. Uh, but to understand that it's important for us to read through this pretty quickly, yeah, uh, because this is a different kind of understanding the Bible uh, that is. Profoundly beneficial. It's it's beneficial for you to be able to read the Bible quickly, all in in as quick a setting as you can. A year is a pretty quick setting mm-hmm. uh, to get through a book of this size. And and what it will do is is reading the Bible quickly will help you pull things from the beginning and the end together because you don't have that huge space of time between the two readings. And so what we're going to do in this podcast is this is going to uh, be a podcast that you hopefully will listen to before you get into your readings, and uh, and it'll be an opportunity to help you uh, sort of set an expectation for what you're going to be reading that week uh, so that So that you have the frameworks that you need from a big picture view, uh, a couple of the details, and to set that pace for reading through the scripture. So Marshall,
0: what are we reading this week? So week one, we're going through the first 11 chapters of Genesis which is often referred to as the primeval prologue. And then we're also going through the first 16 chapters of Job. So we're kind of in two different places, um, which is, yeah, it's it, it's actually, it's really nice to actually have two different starting points in the very first week.
1: Yeah, it gives us an opportunity to, uh, to, to see how the Bible and the biblical stories sort of play out together. So let's start off talking about that prologue. Uh, why, why is it that, that the Bible needs a prologue? What is, what is it that this prologue serves for us, Marshall? Mm. Well, I think the reality is, again, as we're looking
0: at the biblical text as a whole, there's this grand narrative. Um, and what the first eleven chapters of Genesis do is they really set the stage. They kind of define for us um, who are the who are the main characters. What is the the conflict that is driving the plot? And essentially, from our understanding of those first several chapters, it's going to lay a foundation that we can use uh, to kind of move forward throughout the rest of uh, of the Bible.
1: Yeah. So, so I would say the entirety of the scripture is set forth for us to understand that God is redeeming His creation mm. from sin back into a pure state, right? And, and in order for us to understand that, we have we have a couple of questions. We have to ask, well, who is this God? Mm-hmm. Why does he hold authority to do this? What does that original state look like mm-hmm. and why is it that it needs to be redeemed? Why can't man or creation redeem itself in this kind of a way? Right. And the primeval prologue sets that force, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so so that's a bit of the forest view. If we're gonna look mm-hmm. at the forest, what mm-hmm. is being taught here? Uh, we have we have these these big principles that are being taught, and, and the primary thing is that this is a setting of the stage uh, for all of the book and, and why the book needs to exist, why the redemptive narrative needs to exist is established for us in this prologue. And it also sets forth a lot of themes yeah. that we're going to run through uh, the entirety of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, some major themes like the authority of God based on his creative power. Right. Right, all through the Old Testament and the New Testament, God is said to be the authority of all things because He brought it into being. And the question is going to be asked time and time again: Things like, would the would the clay say to the potter? Right, right. right? Would the creature say to the creator? Mm. Right. These kinds of things that are authorities established for us in the prologue. What other kind of themes can we expect from the prologue that are going to run through Scripture?
0: One of the things that's introduced very early on is this whole idea of, of two distinct humanities, so the, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and the enmity in between them. And so we're going to see throughout, especially in Genesis, but even even throughout the whole of Scripture, we're going to see kind of these two distinct groups of people, those who are gods and those who are not, and the way that they relate to each other. And uh, And that's a, that's a driving factor. And kind of the unspoken question uh, throughout a lot of the narratives in Scripture is, which one are you? right where, where do you belong? and so uh, that's, that's something else that's that's set very early on in the prologue but continues
1: throughout throughout the rest of the text yeah yeah and so so that's a bit of the the forest view. now now looking at the trees the the individual elements that make up this forest, how do we see these as being major themes of a prologue mm. uh, I, one of the things that I would point you to is just the very beginning, the opening words yeah in the beginning, God mm-hmm. Right. That establishment that before there was anything else, there was God Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. God brought all of these things into being. It it ends up being probably one of the most profoundly theological and in our culture, one of the most profoundly offensive passages that there Mm -hmm. is inside of all the scripture, because it starts from the beginning of the text with the beginning of all things. Mm. And there was then nothing. Right, nothing that would rival, nothing that would be a peer to. There is just simply God. Yeah, and He brought these things into existence. Yeah, yeah, and, and that He does, as you were saying earlier, that He does the forming and the filling. Right. In these, uh, in this work, shows how little mankind contributes to, uh, to what we have around us, and and that all of this belongs to God.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what you were telling me earlier, actually, is there's a divine order, expectation, and ownership. That that is revealed within those those first chapters, right? That that God is the supreme being above um, all that goes on within the universe. There's a certain expectation of obedience and worship uh, of his creation towards him uh, because he owns it all because it is all his. So, yeah, that's I mean, even from the way that he creates, we, we get so much about who God is.
1: Yeah, and I think we also learned a lot about who humanity is, Mm. right? So uh, from these original stories, this prologue of stories, we see a lot of the exposure of man's heart, Mm. uh, right? Maybe it's not always as bad as it was in the day of Noah Mm. when uh, the superlative language is used over (laughs) and over and over again uh, to say that only... Uh, that every thought of man's heart was only evil all of the time, yeah. right? These compounding <laughs> superlatives that say man had no right to ever claim any goodness in and of himself, yeah. uh, but but instead he was generally the problem. We see this repeated through all of these stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're short stories, uh, They but they get to the point that man wants for that authority that God has. Yeah. He wants for the opportunity to say, this is what I think ought to be, Mm-hmm. Because it serves me, uh, I would like to either not worship God or myself be worshipped and supplied to, mm-hmm. and so I'm going to take things into my own hands. Yeah, and and from the story of of the Garden of Eden mm-hmm. uh, into the end of the prologue where we have uh, the Tower of Babel, we have all of this theme sort of repeated over and over again. Yeah, it's just it's it's open
0: rebellion. Against the creator is really what it is. And we just see it time and time again. And, and in a sense, you know, we see this kind of the expansion of what this sinful rebellion looks like in different contexts, whether it's, you know, disobeying a command from disobeying a command from God, whether it's, you know, murder, whether it's idolatry, whatever it might be. And we just kind of see a very well-rounded view of what this human rebellion against God looks
1: like. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that is the sort of forest and trees look at Genesis. Let's mm-hmm. look at Job now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Job is a really, really interesting book. Uh, I, have a, I had a, a guy who used to work with me. He was my associate pastor uh, for a while when I was in Toronto. And, and Dave loved to talk about Job and say, Job is that book that you begin reading thinking, yeah, yeah. And then you get to the very end of it and realize that it's possible that three-fourths of what you just read were heresy, and you don't really know what was and wasn't heretical, <laughs> yeah. what was and wasn't a false statement about God. So let's look at the, the big pictures mm. that we gain in Job. What are the, what are the big themes that we see in, in these opening chapters of Job?
0: Right. Well, from the very beginning, right in the prologue of, of Job, we see the person of Satan in the heavenly courts. Right. And we see uh, a glimpse of, of who he is and what he does, but we also see his, his ultimate um, inferiority to God. He can only operate on the leash that God allows him to have. Um, but he is, he is the accuser, right? He is the one standing in the court. And in fact, that, that Hebrew name for Satan means the accuser. So so we get our first kind of glimpse of, of who he is um, in, in that context.
1: Yeah, and I think that's important for us to understand right early on, and that's something that I want you to, uh, as you're reading through uh, this first chapter of Job in particular, I want you to pay attention to the way that Satan needs permission from God to mm-hmm. do the things that he is going to do, mm-hmm. right? So so God tells him, you know, what have you been up, or asks him, what have you been up to? And Satan mm-hmm. tells him, I'm just sort of roaming around, and, and the challenge is put to him, have you considered Job? And and satan wants to challenge job but he needs the permission of god to bring that challenge about and i right. think a lot of times when we consider spiritual warfare and how it is that satan comes against us and how the powers of satan comes against the powers of righteousness and the powers of god we see this sort of as these competing armies that are that are going head to head and in, and in some ways there there is that but in another way that is very much controlled by the person of god and there yeah. is nothing that satan is allowed to do that does not come first through the authority of God, which in in my mind completely changes the way that we're going to look at things like the, the idea of trials and temptations that will come up in 1 Peter, for example, mm-hmm. later on. That we understand these trials and temptations are not necessarily just because we have an enemy that God is doing everything he can to sort of keep the ship above water. Right. But instead he is giving us these grieves in these moments, if necessary, so that the tested genuineness of our faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Right, right, yeah.
0: I think the other thing too, as we're reading through the book of
1: Job, um,
0: we have to keep in mind as we work through this structure, and the structure of the bulk of Job is essentially, you know, Job is complaining, and then you know his friends who come one at a time will kind of try to say something to him, and then he'll respond and it kind of goes in this cycle. Friend speaks, Job responds, friends speak, Job's response, Job responds. Uh, but there are oftentimes things that Job's friends are saying that you know we would be tempted to maybe highlight in our Bible. Mm-hmm. And what we need to understand, even from the outset of the book of Job, is that these friends have a insufficient uh, or corrupted understanding of who God is. So there are certain things that they're going to say that seem... To be true, uh, but aren't necessarily true, and and so this is this is comes along with you know learning how to read and study our Bibles, which is something that I know you're you're very serious about. Uh, what we need to understand is the things that the friends say are true in the sense that you know they were said, and and the Bible, being the infallible Word of God, um, is accurately recording that. What is not necessarily true is you know the validity of that statement that they're making. Right. That these are these are statements made from fallible people that are being recorded in within the scriptures. Right. So so just the warning there to to maybe temper our um, enthusiasm at some of the things that the friends are saying that seem to be true about God
1: right so so anytime that i'm I'm listening to someone speak or preach a sermon or or I see a uh, a reference in a book that someone refers back to job, my initial reaction is one of panic yeah. I see Who said that <laughs> I see them I see them refer to job and I think hold on a second yeah <laughs> uh, because because do we know that that is one of the statements that that is going to uh, be confirmed by God in his revelation of himself, his person and his purpose throughout mm. the rest of Scripture? Mm-hmm. Or is it this isolated moment that we have to grab from Job? If that's the case, chances are, chances mm. are not universally, but chances are that might be one of those moments where they are speaking from human wisdom. This is what our expectation of a God would be, yeah. our expectation of justice would be, mm-hmm. and and we are going to imply that upon God in ignorance right. and be absolutely wrong about that. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Uh, so so the, the overarching theme of the whole book of Job, not just the 16 chapters that we're reading this week, but the overarching theme of Job is, is God just? Right. In a world where bad things happen, is God just? And these friends, including Job, are going to be trying to reconcile that according mm-hmm. to their own wisdom and their own thoughts. And there are going to be times when uh, they are going to, to say some things that are right. There are going to be times when they say some things are wrong and we're Going to see that cleared up at the very end of the book right. when God decides to join in the conversation mm. and and essentially say, "What are you guys talking about?" Right, right, right. right. We don't want to get there yet. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get there when that time comes, and uh, that will be a very fun discussion because I absolutely love those chapters. Uh, but but at this point. The expectation going into this is to be looking for those opportunities to say this is, okay, this is a discussion on the justice of God. How do the friends see justice? Mm. How do they imply that upon God? And Mm. and what are Job's response in these circumstances? Do I reply in the same way these guys do? Yeah. Um, where where might they be right and supported by scripture and where might they be wrong, right? Because Mm. because the issue of of wrong. Uh, we don't want to get into a point where we're going to say, like, everything that everyone says in this book is absolutely wrong. That's not the case. Yeah. Uh, but but most of the times where the church gets tripped up is not things that are just inherently, absolutely, and identifiably wrong, but when we have half-truths right, mixed into truth— in such a way that we don't recognize it, right? It's kind of like when you were in school and your teachers would give you those wonderful true/false statements inside of a, a question uh, on it on a test, and and it didn't need to be that the entire thing was false in order to mark it false. But if at any point any element within that statement mm-hmm. was not a truth statement, then the entire statement then becomes false. Right. And and that's the struggle that you have in trying to isolate passages of Job and pull them out of the book and say this is a truth statement that I can claim and understand and and base my doctrine and, and my walk with God on mm-hmm. is that that Job is is a different book in that it is man trying to reason out the person of God mm-hmm. and what is right and just
0: yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, from a from a more personal standpoint, I think particularly in the the first round of comments from Job's friends, a lot of the things they say to him, if I'm being honest, you know, I have Coming alongside, you know, friends and family members who are suffering, um, been guilty of kind of presenting some of those same half truth or, or even maybe tr- pretending to understand um, the purposes of God in a way that is just entirely beyond uh, what I'm capable of. So it, it's a it's a convicting passage when you look at it that way. Um, so I want to encourage our readers as you're reading through, maybe maybe consider the times where you know you yourself have have come along to try and console those who are hurting and and, and try to avoid uh, making the same mistakes as these friends in the future.
1: so there's there's your quick rundown of what we can expect going into this week's readings. Mm-hmm. Marshall. yeah, give me some highlights. What are some some elements inside of these readings that uh, that you really? you really enjoy that people can, uh, can be looking forward to?
0: Yeah, so one of the things that, this is going to kind of sound crazy for most of the people listening, but one of the things that I've come to have an appreciation for is genealogies. And I think our inclination is always to just kind of like skip through them or just kind of blast through, you know, how old everybody was and whose son they had. And we can't pronounce half the name, so we ignore it. But what I want to encourage people to do is to not skip through them, to read them, And to try and as we move through scripture and we're moving through it fairly quickly, uh, keep tabs on these genealogies, see how they fit into the story, see how they move the plot along. And sometimes even within these genealogies, there's little snippets of of commentary that is really important and really enlightening and so I, that's that's my encouragement for people is don't skip the don't skip the genealogies there's there's truth to be had there as well so
1: yeah so the main reason that we're doing a chronological read through in a year is because we want to see the narrative of scripture as mm-hmm. a single unified story mm-hmm. uh, that is that is the revelation God's revelation of himself to mankind inside of this story and yeah. genealogies are oftentimes a tool uh, by which those those uh, stories and and the different uh, sort of transitions of time mm. are passed along and so they are they are important in this sort of narrative discussion yeah uh, to moving the story along. Any other highlights that you have from the uh, from the week's reading?
0: Um, I always I always love the references to the Nephilim. I think it's such a such a kind of a strange thing that kind of comes out of nowhere. Uh, and there's all these different kind of views that people have on on who the Nephilim are, right? So oftentimes there's this kind of, it's a view that the two different kind of distinct bloodlines are mixing. Uh, there's another very popular view, which I'm sure many of you have heard before, that it's the Nephilim are, are as a result of the mixing between like fallen angels and human beings. Uh, other people tend to think they're just, you know, it's just used for kind of these these. People who've set them up as kings and, and corrupt rulers. Uh, one of the commentaries I was actually reading for uh, through uh, for my course on the Book of Genesis, the, the commentator actually proposed the the, the concept of demon possessed tyrant kings. So he kind of combined a couple of those ideas together. But in any case, it's just one of those things that's so strange that we don't have a lot of other information for. So it always just kind of sticks out to me like a sore thumb, wondering who are these guys and 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 where did they come from?
1: Yeah, the, the, I made a, I made mention one time in a sermon that the the Nephilim are, are a bizarre thing that we can't really pin down and explain. And I had someone come up to me afterward and say, you want to know what the Nephilim are? I've got it. I've got it for you. And, and, my initial thought was, oh, no, here we go. Yep. <laughs> uh, and, and then the person brought me a book the next week. They brought me a book that explained that uh, the Nephilim were giant aliens who oh. were also the builders of the pyramids and explained a number <laughs> of ancient historical phenomenon inside of oh. these Nephilim. Uh, and, and it says in there, and they are still among us, which, which you and I both agree is is probably a reference to people such as these uh, exist even today. Uh, <laughs> But but their their thing was the reason these people survived the flood is because uh, they because they were alien they they weren't here for the flood they left oh uh, and then would Convenient. return would return later um, <laughs> and so and it was one of those things that's like I can't believe I really invested that much time to actually read the book but the book was so bizarrely fascinating I had to wow. I had to read it anyway that's uh, great it was it was it was interesting that is great uh, yeah the, the nephilim are are definitely an interesting thing and, and something worth looking at one of the highlights that I have. Uh, every time, every time I read through Job, I look at the friends mm. and I look at the way the friends talk to, e- to each other or, or to, to Job at the very beginning. And, mm. and when Job is going through all of this and the friends just come and they just sit with him mm. and they're just present mm. and they're just going to be there. And you yeah. think, man, that's what Job needed. Yeah. These are friends. Yeah. These are the kind of friends that I want coming around me. People are like, hey, you know what? I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. Mm. And I'm just going to be here with you. Yeah. Yeah. And then Job cracks the door open just a little bit to say, Hey guys, what are you thinking about? (laughs) And they (laughs) unleash, they absolutely unleash with this Job. What have you been up to? And then you find out all along, they weren't there for Job. Yeah. They were, they were there to figure out what Job was up to. It was like this, this silent judgment going on this whole time that they're with him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And, and that always gets me because because you think, you know what? That's, what they were doing is the kind of friend I like to think of myself as, but oftentimes I'm I'm actually much more like them than uh, right. than I am on the surface thinking. Right. Just waiting for that opportunity to understand what has taken place, yeah. and 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 uh, and needing to get down to the nitty gritty, and and frankly, the gossip of it all. Right. Instead yeah. of just instead of just saying, "Hey, you know what? Let's be present." Yeah, yeah. they
0: they figured that they're if, you know for Job to experience such a you know a terrible ruin. He must have done something something bad, right? There there must be some juicy story that they can get their hands on, right? So they're trying to you know trying to to dig for dig for the dirt on Job, uh, you know maybe out of a sense of you know jealousy or, or gossip, like you said, more than more than wanting to be a good friend. It's uh, yeah, it's terrible. I love I love what Job says kind of after the first round of of, of comments from his friends, right? Who, who are giving them all kind of these these platitudes as though they understand you know what it is. That uh, that God is is trying to do to Job and, and w- you know what his reasons for that are. He says he says no doubt he says it sarcastically. I, I laughed aloud when when I when I was going through this. Says, no doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you. Right, like it's just this like sarcastic comment. Like oh yeah, of course you guys know it all. You guys have all the answers and and and, and you know and and, <laughs> and nobody can know anything apart from you guys. Like you're so wise, right? It's, I love it when sarcasm comes through through the scriptures. It's great.
1: Yeah, I mean. Yeah, so in in looking to this and reading and, and just finding that the the heart of the heart of the friends all along is is this arrogance. There's this arrogance yeah. underlying, right? That yeah. Job is pointing out that just sort of says, if if. If you were as good as us, Job, you wouldn't be in this situation. Exactly. So I'm here to help you along, yeah. right? Because surely God. And then they then they imply all of these mm-hmm. or, or impose all of these thoughts that they have of, of justice on on the person of God. And uh, and that's something that's something interesting to look at and to uh, to ask so the question: Are are these things that I also? do to God in trying to assume justice on him. Right. All right, so there is there is your expectation and your mm. uh, your anticipation for week one. We hope yeah. that you uh, have a good opportunity to spend time in this word and uh, and to read along with us to join us. It will be the first reading of the year, so this is most likely to be the one that people follow along with, right? right? yeah, right. this is this is kicking things off. This is uh, the January 1 kind of reading where everyone's still amped up and inspired and and yeah. all that kind of stuff. so let's have fun with it. Uh, thank you for listening. this is uh, this has been in and through a podcast that is a production of Memorial Baptist Church and uh, produced by Alex Walker. Thanks for listening. Thanks, guys.